0: Welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 9 Zion. This week we are talking about 3rd Nephi, chapters 20 through 26. We've had such a great week with conference and getting to hear all of that and the spiritual feast that that was. I'm so excited to go listen to it more carefully again. I think the first time I listen to it, it's always, you know, I'm either with family or with my kids and I'm I love being able to go back and what a blessing technology is that we can go back and listen more carefully. So this week's chapters for Come Follow Me, we start in chapter 20. Christ administers the sacrament, which by the way, miraculously, because no one brought bread or wine. So he administers it again for the benefit of those not present the day before. And I can also imagine that it was repeated just because the Lord often repeats things that are important. Christ then talks a lot about the gathering of Israel, which is super exciting because this is what President Nelson talked about this general conference. Christ quotes Isaiah a lot in the next few chapters and in chapters previously. In chapter 20, verse 11, it says, ye remember that I spake unto you and said that, When the words of Isaiah should be fulfilled, behold, they are written, Ye have them before you, therefore search them. And in chapter 23, he says, And now, behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things. Yea, a commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. In Bruce R. McConkie's talk called 10 Keys to Understanding Isaiah, he says, Nephi wrote, Great are the words of Isaiah. While many find his prophecies hard to understand, Isaiah's prophetic words can and should shine brightly. If our eternal salvation depends on our ability to understand the writings of Isaiah as fully and as truly as Nephi understood them, and who shall say that such is not, not the case, how shall we fare in that great day, when with Nephi we shall stand before the pleasing bar of him who said, Great are the words of Isaiah." we already heard Christ tell us that it is a commandment to understand the words of Isaiah. But when I read that quote from Bruce R. McConkey, that we will be accountable for our understanding of Isaiah, I definitely have some work to do. I also think that there's some milk before meat to consider. I can't imagine that the Lord requires somebody who is just barely building up their testimony needs to understand Isaiah before they have a basic understanding of the principles of the gospel. But as far as I go, I do not have an excuse. I have been in the church my whole life and I'm perfectly capable of understanding. So I need to get to work. I'm not going to pretend to you to be somewhere that I'm not. I I think I have a very surface level understanding of Isaiah in some areas. And then <laughs> in other areas, I have no idea what he is talking about. And I can't say that I've ever tried very hard to figure it out. I kind of just gloss over those, those chapters and I'm just like, oh, Isaiah, but we are told in third Nephi 23, two for surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, meaning Isaiah, he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore it must needs be that he speaked also to, unto the Gentiles and all things that he spake have been and shall be even according to that which he spake. The words of Isaiah are talking about us. They are so relevant to us. The Lord has promised that he will be keeping us informed. And understanding Isaiah is an important key to us understanding the signs of the times. And the signs of the times are so exciting. I have thought about the gathering of Israel more in the last six months than I ever have. And part of the gathering of Israel is the spirit of Elijah. Elder Bednar referred to the spirit of Elijah as this. Distinctive influence of the Holy Ghost that draws people to identify, document, and cherish their ancestors and family members, both past and present. I never thought of the spirit of of Elijah as a specific intentional influence from the Holy Ghost. So just for the sake of reviewing, who is Elijah? In the Bible dictionary, it says, Elijah is an Old Testament prophet who returned in the latter days to confer the keys of the sealing power on Joseph Smith and all over Cowdery. In his day, Elijah ministered to the Northern Kingdom of Israel. He had great faith in the Lord and is, and is noted for many miracles. At his request, God prevented rain for three and a half years. He raised a boy from the dead and called down fire from heaven. The Jewish people still wait for for Elijah to return, as Malachi prophesied he would. He remains an invited guest at Jewish Passover feast, where an open door and a vacant seat always awaits him. The prophet Joseph Smith said that Elijah held the sealing power of the Melchizedek priesthood and was the last prophet to do so. Before the time of Jesus Christ, he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and conferred the keys of the priesthood on Peter, James, and John. He appeared again with Moses and others on April 3rd, 1836 in the Kirkland, Ohio Temple and conferred the same keys on Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. All of this was in preparation for the second coming of the Lord, as spoken of in Malachi 4, 5 through 6. The power of Elijah is the sealing power of the priesthood by which things that are bound or loosed on earth are bound or loosed in heaven. Chosen servants of the Lord on earth today have the sealing power and perform the saving ordinances of the gospel for the living and the dead. So as we read about what the spirit of Elijah is, It is so amazing to notice as we study the scriptures that everything ties in to the gathering of Israel. Families, wards, stakes, young women's relief society, missionary service, temple work, general conference, the scriptures themselves, the Savior coming to the world to atone for our sins, all of it is for the purpose of gathering Israel because He loves us. He is doing absolutely everything everything he can to give us every chance to return to him. And it doesn't stop when we die. He is still trying to gather his children, even through temple work and missionary work on on the other side of the veil. He is inspiring us with the spirit of Elijah to gather our families. Guys, it all makes sense. His plan is so perfect and so centered on bringing to pass eternal life for us. Now let's talk about eternal life. Remember that immortality and eternal life is not the same. On the Church website, eternal life is defined as eternal life is the is the phrase used in the scriptures to define the quality of life that our eternal father lives. The Lord declared, "This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man." Immortality is to live forever as a resurrected being. Through the atonement of Jesus Christ, everyone will receive this gift. Eternal life or exaltation is to live in God's presence and to continue as families. Like immortality, this gift is made possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ. However, to inherit eternal life requires our obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. We are already guaranteed immortality through resurrection. But eternal life is our ultimate goal. Eternal life is what he wants for us because it will bring us the full measure of joy. Eternal life is why he's doing it all, why he is gathering us, because he sees in all of us the potential to live as he lives and be as he is. I had a dream the other night that was profound and sacred to me. And at this time, I don't feel prompted to share it but I am going to tell you how I felt when I woke up. As I was fading from dream to awake, I was more content than I can ever remember feeling. I felt the Savior's perfect love and acceptance of me and all my flaws. As I opened my eyes, I saw my husband lying next to me. And anyone who knows me personally knows that I absolutely adore my husband. He is the best man that I can imagine. I always think this of him, but that morning I felt an increase. I felt for a moment the love that the Savior feels for him. I felt an overwhelming love for him because for a moment, Heavenly Father was letting me glimpse his potential he has the potential to become as god i was left thinking of this all day long and i know that god feels this way about each of us heavenly father knows perfectly the circumstances that we were all born into and knows exactly our level of accountability at any given moment including after we die And exactly what experiences we need here or in the hereafter to be given the chance to, as President Nelson said a few days ago, let God prevail. You see how the gathering is so perfect? All of us will be given the exact experiences we need to have the opportunity to use our agency to let God prevail. If we let him. So, After my dream and my morning where I thought about my husband, I started to think about everyone I knew and how God must view them. I thought about people that I love and enjoy and also about people who maybe haven't been my favorite in the past. What if I was able to view them the way that he does? Feeling his love for me was feeling whole and complete and at peace. And it was interesting to me that when I woke up from my dream with those feelings, I felt my vision being immediately expanded to other people. Understanding better the Savior's love for me expanded my vision just for a moment. Everyone I meet has incredible potential. Can you imagine what eternity must feel like surrounded and connected to the family of God made up of imperfect people that we're surrounded with here today that would now be perfected. When we think of eternal life, it's one thing to imagine ourselves becoming as God, but then to expand that and think of all of those around us becoming as God because their potential and their value is just as great as yours. If they have been gathered with you, and it obtained eternal life alongside us. I can't even comprehend the joy that would accompany having that experience and continuing into eternity with all the people around us. As we hear about all the amazing products of the gathering, it's easy to wish away these final stages and want to get to the next part. But As we're experiencing some of the signs of the times, what I'm trying to do is to align my will with God's. And God's will at this time is to gather as many of us as possible. President Nelson encouraged us this general conference to, instead of praying for those who are ready to accept the gospel to find it, to pray for those who are prepared to let God prevail. It's a subtle difference, but a difference for sure. As hard things are happening, I hope that I can maintain patience through these times because I know that they have a purpose. It is one great last push to gather his people. And as I feel his love for me, I feel a love for the world. And that's why I'm doing this podcast I really need them to come out with the transcribed version of this general conference because there are so many things that I want to quote right now. Someone said something (laughs) like, anything you are doing to bring anyone closer to God is participating in the gathering of Israel. Right now, there are about 150 of you listening each week. And I would love for that to get bigger. But even if it doesn't, My hope is that it can help people, whoever is listening, even if it stays a small number, to draw closer to Jesus Christ and our Father in heaven, and that in that small way, I will be participating to the best of my ability to aid in the accomplishment of His great work, the gathering of Israel, gathering us close so that we can withstand all of the things that will happen in our lifetime. There are so many ways that you and I can participate in the gathering of Israel. I want to be the mother that I was sent here to be. And in doing that, I'm aiding in the gathering of Israel. I want to be the wife that the Savior wants me to be. Because being the wife that he wants me to be strengthens my marriage and it gives my husband added strength to reach his potential and gives me added strength to reach my potential i want to be the sister he wants me to be because i know that the influence of family has power given to us through the sealing power i want to be the best friend that i can be because i understand the power of good friends who love the gospel and that is participating in the gathering of israel I want to be a conduit of light for Jesus Christ through social media. When the temples reopen, I want to be so much better at getting to the temple and doing work for the dead. All of this, it aids in the gathering of Israel. Think about what you can be doing to aid in the gathering. Think about what you're already doing. It really is so, so exciting. And speaking of exciting things, one of the most exciting things about the gathering of Israel is imagining the literal city of Zion. James E. Talmadge, in his book called A Study of the Articles of Faith, he first talks, I'm going to kind of summarize, he talks about um, that the city of Zion is to be established in In Independence, Missouri and that it will be a land of peace a city of refuge a place of safety for the saints Um, and he talks about the saints being gathered there but then they weren't permitted to stay Um, and then i'm going to quote him here it says such then is the belief of the latter-day saints such are the teachings of the church but the plan of the building up of zion has not yet been consummated The saints were not permitted to enter into immediate possession of the land, which was promised them as an everlasting inheritance. Even as years elapsed between the time of the Lord's promise to Israel of old that Canaan should be their inheritance and the time of their entering into possession thereof, years devoted to the people's toilsome and sorrowful preparation for the fulfillment— so in the latter days the divine purpose purpose is held in abeyance while the people are being sanctified for the great gift and the responsibilities associated with it. In the meantime, and he's talking back when everyone was gathering in the Rocky Mountains, the honest in heart are gathering in the valleys of the Rocky Mountains, and here in the tops of the mountains exalted above the hills, temples have been erected, and all nations are flowing unto this region. But Zion shall yet be established on the chosen site. She shall not be moved out of her place, and the pure in heart shall return with songs of everlasting joy to build up the waste places of Zion. And then he continues, That time will be appointed of God, yet it is to be determined according to the faithfulness of the people. Wickedness caused the Lord to tarry, for saith he, therefore in consequence of the transgressions of my people— It is expedient that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. And again, Zion shall be redeemed in mine own due time. But the Lord's time in giving blessings is dependent upon the the prospective recipients. As long ago as 1834 came the word of the Lord unto the church, Behold, I say unto you, were it not for the transgressions of my people speaking concerning the church and not individuals, they might have been redeemed even now. Close quote. So I saw someone post a quote the other day and I can't find it. <laughs> and I don't know where the quote was from or if they just made it up, but I liked it. It said something in, to the effect of the Lord is not waiting for the world to become wicked enough to come, but for the saints to be righteous enough. I think that it is some sort of precise combination of those two things, the Lord is preparing us, he's humbling us, and gathering us so that we are worthy of Zion. And also at the same time, he's humbling the world so that as many as possible come unto him before he comes with destruction to spare them from any further sin. Isn't it so incredible to think of Zion as a real city? That the lost ten tribes will return? That the descendants of the Lamanites will come help build it? It says in chapter 20, verses 17 through 22, Then shall ye, who are a remnant of the house of Jacob, so the Lamanites, go forth among them, and ye shall be in the midst of them who shall be many. So up to America, the Gentiles. And ye shall be among them as a lion among among the beasts of the forest, and as a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, who, if he goeth through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Thy hand shall be lifted upon thine adversar- adversaries, and thine enemies shall be cut off. And I will gather my people as a man gathereth his sheaves into the floor. For I will make my people with whom the Father hath covenanted. Yea, I will make thy hor- thine horn iron, and I will make thy hoofs brass. And thou shalt beat in pieces many people. And I will consecrate their g- their gain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. And behold, I am he who doeth it. And I want to add in there that this will not be done with a military force organized among the saints. The Lord promised in DNC chapter 105, verse 14. He says, I do not require at their hands to fight the battles of Zion. For as I said in former commandment, even so will I fulfill, I will fight your battles. So to continue on, it says in verse 20. And it shall come to pass, saith the Father, that the sword of justice shall hang over them at that day, and except they repent, it shall fall upon them, saith the Father, yea, even upon upon all the nations of the Gentiles. And it shall come to pass that I will establish my people, O house of Israel. And behold, this people will I establish in the land unto the fulfilling of the covenant which I made with your father Jacob, and it shall be a new Jerusalem, and the powers of heaven shall be in the midst of this people. Yea, even I will be in the midst of you. So we'll build up the new Jerusalem before the savior comes. And then the savior will reign personally within the city. Spencer W. Kimball said, speaking to the Lamanites, you must blossom as the rose upon the mountain. You must flourish. You must become a great people so that you can go back to Jackson County with us and we with you. We will build there a magnificent temple, which Orson Pratt said will be the most beautiful building that was ever built or ever will be built. It will be a culmination of everything that is beautiful and wonderful and within its walls, the ceiling power and the Indians are going to assist with the temple. That is why these Indian people who have accepted the gospel must remain true no matter what comes. They must remain true and faithful. They must go to the temple and get their endowments and their ceilings. They must be leaders in their communities because not too far away there is going to be a great migration to Jackson County, Missouri, and there we are going to build the great temple. And that is only part of it. We will then go forward with you by the thousands, by the tens of thousands to work night and day in the holy temple of God to see that your ancestors, all that died from Christ up till now, all those who were killed at the hill Cumorah, all those who were killed in between for hundreds and hundreds of years, all have the, have work done for them so that they may receive the exaltation and eternal life of man. What works you have to do, you good folks. You must never falter. You must continue on growing to your total stature and bringing your people with you because the Lord's promises never fail. I couldn't help think when I was reading that of all of the missionary work being done in South America. And I I even looked up the populations of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints throughout the world. And next to the United States, the populations in the countries in South America are huge. And so many missionaries are down there preaching the gospel. So the next thing I said, the lost 10 tribes will be restored. I find this part of it to be particularly interesting. In his book, Articles of Faith, James E. Talmadge said this, From the spiritual passages already considered, it is plain that, while many of those belonging to the ten tribes were diffused among the nations, a sufficient number to justify the retention of the original name were led away as a body and are now in existence in some place where the Lord has hidden them. To them, the resurrected Christ went to minister after His visits to the Nephites, visit them after His visit to the Nephites, as before stated." Their return constitutes a very important part of the gathering, characteristic of the dispensation of the fullness of times. To the scriptures already quoted as relating to their return, the following should be added, As a feature of the work of God in the day of restoration we are told, And they who are in the north country shall come in remembrance before the the Lord, and their prophets shall hear His voice, and shall no longer stay themselves. And they shall smite the rocks, and the ice shall flow down at their presence. And an highway shall be cast up in the midst of the great deep. Their enemies shall become a prey unto them. And in the barren deserts there shall come forth pools of living water, and the parched ground shall no longer be a thirsty land. And they shall bring forth their rich treasures unto the children of Ephraim, my servants. And the the boundaries of the everlasting hills shall tremble at their presence." And there shall they fall down and be crowned with glory, even in Zion, by the hands of the servants of the Lord, even the children of Ephraim. And they shall be filled with songs of everlasting joy. Behold, this is the the blessing of the everlasting God upon the tribes, tribes of Israel, and the richer blessings upon the head of Ephraim and his fellows. From the express and repeated declaration that in their exodus from the north, the ten tribes are to be led to Zion to receive honor at the hands of those who are of Ephraim, who necessarily are to have previously gathered there. It is plain that Zion is to be first established. Ah, all of that is just so, so cool. And I also am not going to pretend that I totally understand it or can even comprehend it. I mean, they're, they're going to come out some massive gathering an exodus out of where they're hidden on the earth. I mean, that just reminds me of what do you call that? The Island hidden under the sea. I forgot even what it's called, but that's what it reminds me of. Oh, Atlantis. (laughs) That's what it is. It reminds me of Atlantis. They're just hidden somewhere and we don't know where they are. It's just incredible to even think about that. So before the second coming, the Holy city of Zion will be built It will be in Independence, Missouri, and it will be built at least in part before the second coming, and it will be in existence during the thousand years that Christ rules on the earth. There will be two capitals on the earth, this new city of Zion or New Jerusalem and the old ancient city of Jerusalem in Doctrine and Covenants. Chapter 45, verses 66 through 69 it says, And it shall be called the New Jerusalem, a land of peace, a city of refuge, a place of safety for the saints of the Most High God. And the glory of the Lord shall be there, and the terror of the Lord also shall be there, insomuch that the wicked will not come unto it, and it shall be called Zion. And it shall come to pass among the wicked that every man that will not take his sword against his neighbor must needs flee. Unto Zion for safety. And there shall be gathered unto it out of every nation under heaven, and it shall be the only people that shall not be at war one with another. Now, when I read that, I, I do, and I do not at the same time look forward to the day that the entire earth will be at war with itself. I'm sure it will be a difficult time for us all to witness. And it for sure will be a difficult time when we all get to a point where we have to flee to Zion for safety. But at the same time, I look forward to it because I dream of this city. It will be pure. We will be of one heart and one mind, and we will stand on the earth with the power of God. It will be an amazing thing to be a part of. And of course, no one knows exactly when, but I hope and I dream that somehow it will be within my lifetime. This summer, I found an old song in my mom's music collection at home that filled me with the spirit of Zion. We recorded it um, after just practicing it a few times. So (laughs) forgive any flaws. It's definitely not perfect. And I want to play it for you guys. I recommend... Um, if you're listening not on headphones, that you listen to the song with headphones. It's just recorded in a room, so it's not like, you know, right here with the microphone, and it will sound at its very best with headphones. I had a shoot yesterday, and I listened to this song over and over again on my hour and a half drive up. It fills me with such hope and amazement, and I think that we can all be filled with the hope and the dream of Zion. And when we all hope and dream in unity, as the second verse in the song says, we realize that in part, we can already access Zion. It can be in our hearts. We can be one in Jesus Christ, participating in the great gathering of Israel. There is peace in Christ, even here and now. This song is called Zion's Theme. The music is by Phil Davis and lyrics by Arnold Stringham and Susan McLeod.
1: Oh mm-hmm.